we're doing a new sermon series this fall. If you've uh, missed a couple weeks, you may not realize that. Uh, But as part of the sermon series, we're doing the scripture reading a little bit differently. So we're reading it throughout the bulk of the sermon. Uh, So we'll be reading it in pieces. And just wanted to give you a heads up about that. Uh, Let us turn to God in prayer. Holy and gracious God, may your Holy Spirit give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that with the eyes of our hearts enlightened, we may know the hope to which Christ has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance among us, and the greatness of his power for those who believe. In Jesus' name, amen. So our sermon series this fall is on 1 Peter. Uh, we handed out some little passport books. Did ever, Raise your hand if you have not yet gotten a passport book. Has everybody gotten a little passport book? You didn't get one yet? Okay. Um, buddy, will you please go get the box of passports and give them to the Sequoia ladies? Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to call you out. <laughs> um, but the passport books that we've handed out, uh, the intention with those is it's filled with blank pages so that you can take notes or write down the, um, the guide rules that you're learning throughout the sermon series, but whatever you want to do with them. But First Peter um, is a travel guide for the exiles. And so that's kind of our overarching theme for the fall is that we are exiles and we are on this journey. And First Peter gives us wisdom in how to walk through that journey uh, as exiles in the world. So this week we're going to be taking a look at the first part of the second chapter. So First Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. It flows directly from last week's rule. Last week's rule was live holy lives. If you didn't write that down then, you can write it down now, live holy lives. Uh, And in verse 1, before he even gets to the heart of today's instruction, Peter quickly reminds us what we have to set aside before we can go any further. So in order to live holy lives, right, there were certain things that Rob talked about that we need to do. In Chapter 2, verse 1, Peter says this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. It's a pretty comprehensive list. It's really short, but it contains a lot of things that we do, right? It's, it's kind of a heading for our sins that we, we do. Uh, if you look up malice, what you'll find is that it's putting our ill will into action, right? We have free will. We can choose to do good. We can choose to do bad. And so those bad things that we choose to do, putting those things into, because sometimes we just think it, right? In our free will, we might have bad thoughts. But malice is actually taking those bad thoughts and putting them into action. So if you look at verse 1, he talks about all malice, and that's that overarching putting our sin into action. And then he goes on to talk about all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. And what you'll find is that those three fall under malice. Deceit is plotting out our sin. You are being deceptive. Uh, You might be pretending that you're doing good, but all the while you're thinking about how to act out that sin. You are plotting, devising. And so you're being deceptive. Now, hypocrisy is pretending not to plot. I think Christians especially get a a bad rap about that. You'll hear a lot of people who um, speak ill of Christianity and talk about us being hypocrites. And that's because, 
you know, even though we have good intentions, we still do have free will and have bad thoughts, and we still put those bad thoughts into action, right? Uh, but sometimes we pretend that we don't. We pretend that we are not plotting and devising and scheming to try to get away with things, uh, especially those gray areas. There are gray areas that um, we think, well, maybe they won't notice. We can pretend we're not doing bad because it's gray rather than black and white. And then there's envy. Now, envy is the rejoicing in the success of our plotting, right? So if you are envious, you... You want what other people have, and you rejoice when you get it. You rejoice when you, um, when you can carry out those ill intentions. And, of course, nobody wants to do that. But that's why Peter is telling us, set that stuff aside. And there was one more, and he says, slander. Put aside all slander. And that is malice in word. Okay, so we talked about malice in deed, in action, but malice in word is just as bad. Uh, so don't think it, don't do it, don't say it, right? Put it all aside. As long as we're doing those things, we can't go any further on our journey. If we are doing those things, we cannot do the other things. If you are living in sin constantly, then you can not be living not in sin. C.S. Lewis said, there is but one good, that is God. Everything else is good when it looks to him and bad when it turns from him. So if we're living in sin and we're not looking to him, then we're looking away from him. Which way do you want to look? You can't do both. Whatever's in front of us the others behind us. So if you're looking at all the malice, you're not looking to God because he's behind you. After we succeed in putting those things away, pushing them aside and stepping out of our sin, then and only then can we move forward. Once we do that, Peter, using rich simile and metaphor, tells us, our next step in our journey as exiles. That takes us to chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. He says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We often hear, um, and actually we've talked about it more recently, that we should be more like children in our faith, right? We should have the faith of children. Jesus is, invites the children to come to him. And that is very true. But on occasion, we get thrown back even further. Peter throws us back and tells us that we need to be more like infants, not only children, but infants, who long for the good milk. And in so doing, that takes us back to a time before we plot. Now, we could go into the whole, um, you know, theological discussion about whether or not infants are born in sin or not. But the reality is, even with their nature, infants are not plotting, right? They're not putting into action willfully. And so he wants us to be more like infants. He wants us to long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, obviously, Peter's not talking about actual milk to us, right? 
he is talking about what we need to help us grow spiritually, to grow up into our salvation. That is the word of God, the special revelation of God. That is what we need. Just as infants need milk to grow and to thrive, so we need that which helps our faith grow. Now, we've all seen babies that are hungry. Okay, they might not have been our own babies, but you've seen pictures, you've seen movies, you've everything, okay? Babies do what when they're hungry? They cry. They scream. They're inconsolable. They are longing for the milk that they need to fill their hunger and to help them grow. Of course, they don't know it's helping them grow, but they know they need it, and they know they want it. And Peter wants us to long for the nutrients of faith in the same way. Now, I don't think y'all should start crying, but, um, but you know what I mean. You know, the baby, they see the bottle, they're reaching for, they, they'll reach for it while they're crying if you pay attention. And usually, if they're crying, there's only two things wrong, you know, ones that they're hungry, ones that they ate too much. But that's what Peter is telling us to do, to reach for the nutrition that we need to grow in our faith. It's not just any milk, and it's not just any word, though, right? Because we wouldn't give a baby a bottle full of juice or soda, right? Because that's not what they need. We can't live on soda and Doritos, although my kids wish that we could, right? They want all the junk food all the time, but we need the good stuff. So not only do we long for the milk, we long for the good milk. We long for the pure spiritual nutrition that can actually help us grow faithfully and maturely and healthily. We need the right stuff, the pure stuff. And where do we, when, when do we find that? Where do we find it? Why, where do we find the stuff that nourishes our faith and helps us to grow into our salvation? We find it in scripture. We find it in worship. We find it in prayer. We find it in a relationship with our Father. And Peter says, once we have tasted it, that good stuff, now, you know, I don't know if y'all have read the book, the, what is it, fat, acid, salt, or fat, salt, anyway, you know, the food industry has really marketed making food that appeals to our, our want of fat and salt, Okay, you got to put that aside because we might crave that, but that's not what our body needs, and it's not really what we long for. Um, so once we've actually tasted the good stuff, the salad of our faithful journey, it's not hard to long for it because we can feel the difference that it makes in our lives. When we experience the goodness that comes from the growth that we experience, then we can't help but want more. And that's what Peter wants for us. Peter is telling us on our journey as exiles that we should seek, not only long for it, but seek the nourishment that we need to grow into our salvation. Now, verses 4 through 7a, I'm cutting it off in the middle there, 4 through 7a, says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, 
Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. What Peter is saying here is that God's ultimate revelation, God's spiritual milk, part of his spiritual milk, is God's ultimate revelation in Christ. As you come to Christ, you will find solid ground. And when you plant firmly, you yourself can be built up and upon as well. I told you he uses lots of simile and metaphor. So we are talking about milk that wasn't actually milk, and now we're talking about solid ground. We're talking about cornerstones and rocks. In the Greek here, <clears throat> excuse me, let me take a drink of Rob's water from last week. Uh, in Greek, the word used for Jesus as a living stone is lethon, not Petra as we would have expected. Now, I think when we read in English, um, you know, some of the meaning is hidden, right? Uh, most of us know the word Petra because Peter means Petra, means rock. Peter is the, it was a rock for our, our faith. And, but here, Jesus is lethon. And that, that is significant because it's not just any rock, but a foundational stone. Now, you'll find lethon used throughout Scripture and other, for other things as well, and you'll use Petra used for Jesus as well. But here, he wants to stress the point that the difference between Jesus and any other rock is that he is the foundational stone. Jesus is the cornerstone. A cornerstone is traditionally the first stone laid for a structure with all other stones laid in reference. So you've got this cornerstone that you're going to place first before anything else. And then you build on and around it. In our faith, Christ comes first. And then we are built up from there. And it's for believers. Those who believe in him can stand firmly on him and can grow and build and be built upon. Now, verses 7b, the rest of 7 through verse 8 says, But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So the builders that they're referring to, the people in that time who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they rejected Jesus, but that didn't stop Jesus from being the cornerstone. They just tripped over him because they did not plant their feet firmly upon the Messiah the chosen one who was sent here to save us, to bring us the fullness of God's grace and mercy and love. So in other words, build on him or be dashed by him. The builders, they can't seem to give up the things from verse 1. You know, their pride, their envy, they, they think they know the truth, but they are missing it. They missed it as it went by. They missed it while Jesus walked this earth. They did not accept him for who he was. And they can't give up the sin that keeps them from seeing who Jesus really is. So they rejected Christ rather than building upon him. 
Now, I don't know how many of you are very sure-footed. Lately, I am not. Um, it seems like everywhere I go, my ankle rolls, and I just, like, crumble to the ground. Um, but when you don't, when you reject Christ, when you don't stand firm on the foundation of Christ, you roll your ankle and you fall down. You stumble. All the places we walk with unsure footing just show us that if we do not plant our feet, then we fall. At the beach, have any, has anybody ever walked the beach and you're trying to walk over the jetties and it's like all funky and rocky and you got the boards and you got to step over, but then there's shells and you don't want to step on the shells because that'll hurt your bare feet. You can't step with solid feet on the solid ground because it's not solid right there. You can't step and not hurt yourself and not fall. But when you plant your feet solidly on the cornerstone, because it is laid so perfectly just for you, just for the believers. Romans 8 says, The mind ruled by the power of sin is at war with God. Those who are at war with God stumble because they are disobedient, and they're not doing what they should be doing. Those people, while they might not readily admit it, they might not readily admit the reason for it, they feel lost, they feel defensive, they feel like things just aren't working out for them. Have you, you know people like that, who, who are always grasping, reaching, trying to figure out why isn't my life working? Now that doesn't mean that everything works out perfectly for the rest of us either, but when you feel like you're lost and you blame God or you reject God because of it, those people are stumbling because of their unbelief, because of their lack of trust in the Savior. On the contrary, those who believe and are a part of God's family, those people, you, are united with God. And in that unity, you can find purpose, you can find peace, and you can find a path on this journey. Verses 9 through 10, Peter says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So after we are called into the light and out of the darkness, after we taste that pure spiritual milk, after we long for it, after we stand firm on Christ, the solid lethon rock, then and only then do we grow. Peter reminds us that we are God's people who have received God's mercy and therefore are called to holiness. When we're growing into salvation, as Peter puts it, we are becoming more holy. We are being sanctified. And that's a big church word. Um, hopefully y'all have heard it, but if not, I'm going to remind you. So according to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. It is a continuing change worked by God in us, freeing us from sinful habits and forming in us Christ-like affections, dispositions, and virtues. It is a continuous 
thing that God is doing in us, making us more holy. Now, of course, we mistakenly think, uh, many of us, that once we become Christians or profess, in, profess our faith in Christ, that once we believe, everything will be hunky-dory and instantly made perfect. And that's a shame because it's not true. The Reformation Study Bible's theological article states that sanctification does not mean that sin is instantly eradicated, but that it is also more than a counteraction in which sin is merely restrained or repressed without being progressively destroyed. It is a real transformation, not just the appearance of one. You cannot pretend that when you believe and when you put your faith in Christ, that everything will be made perfect because it is an ongoing transformation. The basic meaning of sanctify is to set apart to God for his use. You have been set apart for God's use. So as such, it is a process. God uses you. God molds you. God shapes and grows you for his purpose. But as a process, we have to realize that it is part of the journey. The journey as an exile in this world is step by step, mile by mile, day by day, year by year. So think about some other things in life that are a process. You wouldn't think that you could be a great basketball player without practicing. You must learn the skills that it takes, and you must practice them. There's a girl that I played basketball with in high school. She was older than I was, and uh, I loved sports. Uh, I know you wouldn't guess it now, but I did love sports when I was in high school. And she practiced every day after school. Her ha dad had her out in the driveway, throwing free throws, three-pointers, layups, every single day, over and over again, the same thing. Because that was how she got good at it, and she was great. I was not, because I didn't do that. I just wanted to play. I didn't want to practice. But you don't get good at basketball without practicing the skills needed for basketball. You don't learn a new recipe and make it perfectly the first time unless you just get lucky. You have to make it over and over again. So right now in our house, uh, Thomas wants to perfect macarons. We have not reached that yet. And it is very frustrating because, you know, he thinks... And, and I do it sometimes, too. We all do it. He thinks that if he makes a macaron, it's going to come out perfect, and he's going to be like, yay, I made macarons. But they are not working, friends. They're not working. And I keep telling him, you, let's make them over and over again because you find what you did wrong, and you fix it the next time. It's a process, learning how to make something new. To become a doctor, a welder, a musician, any other profession, you have to study and learn it and put it into practice. You don't learn everything in a day that you need to do the profession that you have when you're older. And even when you're older and have the profession, you still have to continue learning, which I don't think they tell us that as kids. I didn't know about continuing ed. I said, I thought I was done with school, but now I have to go get educated twice a year. I don't know. Where did that come from? To remain, <clears throat> to get or remain healthy and fit, you have to exercise and you have to eat right regularly. You can't go to the gym once and expect 
to have a six pack or lose all the weight or be able to lift a certain amount of weight. You have to do it over and over again. All these things in our life, we understand that it's a process. So why in our faith journey do we think that we can say we believe in Jesus and everything will be okay? It is okay, but it's not perfect because we're still people and we still have to be reminded to set aside all the malice, all the deceit, the hypocrisy, the envy, and the slander because we're human. It's a process. And sanctification is the process of becoming more holy, the process of growing into our salvation. Verses 11 through 12 say this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This task of growing into our salvation, as laborious as it seems, is made even more difficult by the fact that we are exiles in this world. As Rob put it in his first sermon in the series, we are sojourners passing through life, guests who do not make our true home here. And as such, we don't really belong. And, and, mean, and I, I, if you're doing it, if you're really working at growing into your salvation, you'll feel that contrast with the world. We're still called to live in it and to do God's good deeds in it. But you'll feel that pull. And so like Christ, we will be rejected as we grow into that salvation. We're going to be rejected. We're going to be slandered. Verse 12 says, when they speak against you, not if, but when. Because they will. But Peter tells us to count it, count it as good because in their malice, God's glory shines through. When I was in high school, I keep going back to high school today. When I was in high school, I took psychology with this teacher, Mr. Lee. And I loved Mr. Lee. I thought he was really cool. Um, and I thought I was really learning a lot from him. And I did. And I guess it's because it was a psychology class. But something we were talking about reminded me of work camp. Okay? So I was like, ooh, work camp. I love doing good for other people. Right? So I was telling this story about work camp. I don't remember exactly how it related. But I was telling this story uh, about serving and serving for God. And um, I was feeling pretty good about it. You know, I was happy to share the story. And Mr. Lee pipes up and says, well, that's really selfish. And I was horrified. I was embarrassed. I didn't understand what he meant. I mean, I, I came to understand what he meant. And I guess, again, because it was psychology class, he was trying to make a point. But... Here we were, you know, giving a week, paying to go and serve, and I wasn't really sure why he thought he had to put me down about it. Um, and he probably didn't look like a fool because he was the teacher. But, um, <laughs> but I, I feel like there was no room for that. It wasn't necessary. Um, and so I felt like, you know what, people heard, you know, you do good deeds, you do good works in the name of God, and it is for God. So it didn't matter what he said. It didn't matter that he slandered the story I was sharing and the good work that I was doing because the good work wasn't for him. It wasn't for the kids in my class, and it wasn't for me. It was for God. 
And so God's glory shows through regardless of the slander uh, that he, the bad things he said about what we were doing. Um, and, and again, I think he was trying to make a psychological point, <laughs> um, but it was, it was not nice uh, to say. Um, so when people speak against us as Christians, when people speak against you and the things you do, uh, and I've been seeing it more and more on Facebook, um, someone will, you know, post about a fundraiser for something, and then all of a sudden the whole thread is just all these people speaking out about how stupid being a Christian is. Um, but it doesn't make the Christians look bad. It makes them look bad because they're speaking really ugly. They're just being ugly. And they're living in their sin. And so if you don't take the bait, it continues to make them look bad. They look like the fool, not you, and certainly not God. But we have to be prepared for that because it says when they speak ill of you, not if, when. And it's happening. It happens. Peter urges us to remember whose we are and why we are here. And that's difficult when we're surrounded by worldly things that are not from God or not of God. As children of God, he says we grow into our salvation so that we can proclaim his excellencies, so that you can build up the house of the Lord, so that God can be glorified. Now, when I was reading this pericope, I was reminded of a devotional that we once gifted to our youth. It was called Growing Down. Um, it was by Ken Castor. In it, he utilizes another simile that is used in Scripture, but this time by Paul. And it teaches us also about growing up. Ken says, Like a tree, a follower of Christ must root deeply into Jesus, find all nourishment to stand strongly through life in him, and then naturally impact others with fruit and shade, protection, and life-breathing air. As you grow down into Jesus, you'll draw up the resources you need to stand through any pressures, and then you'll overflow with an abundance of life that this grown-up world so desperately needs. The tree gets its nutrients from its root system so that it can grow up. Uh, when we talk to our graduates, we say, everybody says, what are you going to be when you grow up? But you can't grow up if you have not first grown down. The root system has to take root, and it has to expand. Uh, I don't know if y'all have turkey oaks in your yard, but their root system is bigger than the tree itself. The roots, the nutrients that the tree gets from the roots helps it to grow up. The idea is the same as what Peter teaches us here in our travel guide. And as, pre, as the priesthood of all believers, right, Peter talks about us being called, the believers being priests, the priesthood of all believers must learn and prepare. You wouldn't want a, a preacher who has never learned what the Bible says and how to teach it and how to craft a sermon and how to do pastoral care. You all are priests in this world. It is the priesthood of all believers. You're called to be God's people in this world, and you too must learn and prepare so that you can grow and you can impact the world. In order to grow up into our salvation, we must seek and long for the spiritual food, for that which comes from God, to nourish and sustain us. Apart from that, we can do nothing. Now, don't get me wrong. You have already been saved through faith, right? You're growing into your salvation because you've already been saved. But that's not the end. 
It's only the beginning. So go, live lives worthy of being called the children of God and grow up into your salvation because it just gets better with time. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. 